The following podcast contains explicit language. You're listening to the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras, a program about the art, craft and philosophy of the moving image and the people who make it happen. Coming to you from the world headquarters of Hot Rod Cameras in Hollywood, California, are your hosts, Ben Rock and Ilya Friedman. My next guest is Rita Baghdadi. She's got a new movie that's premiering at the Sundance 2022 Film Festival called Sirens. Rita, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Rita, I really enjoyed the documentary. For our listeners out there, please give them the quick synopsis of what it's all about. Absolutely. Sirens is an intimate coming-of-age story about the two guitarists and co-founders of the Middle East's first all-female metal band. And the film takes place on the outskirts of Beirut, Lebanon, during the revolution. It's really interesting because they're very much outsiders. They're outsiders being this metal band. Can you talk a little bit about how metal music or the popularity of metal music in Lebanon and the Middle East? Is it a growing thing? I think there's a long history of, you know, metal in the Middle East, let alone Lebanon. Metalheads were sort of persecuted for a while, especially in the early 90s. Um, the story, I believe it, it kind of coincides with uh, Kurt Cobain's death. I, I think there were there were subsequent suicides and people in the region thought that heavy music was the cause. And so, in fact, um, some of the older metalheads in Lebanon were taken to jail and a lot of the venues still don't allow metal. So it's got its own very small dedicated community but it's i wouldn't say it's popular <laughs> uh would you describe yourself as a metalhead i am a converted metalhead i am a metalhead now you know i grew up listening to hardcore and punk so you know it's a different genre but i grew to love it and appreciate it and understand it while making this film and i think i'm ready to rock out <laughs> Nice. Well, uh, yeah, I'm a big punk fan myself and I I can get down with a little bit of metal. So let me ask you, how did you come to this project? How did this or how did this project find you? Yeah, I feel like my projects always sort of find me somehow. I there's many like sort of phases to this origin story. But the simple answer is that I've always kept my eyes peeled for a story that uh, would take place in the Middle East slash North Africa region where my family's from Morocco. I just always thought that maybe I'd make a film in Morocco. So fast forward several years of time and I'm looking online for new music and I come across Slave to Sirens. They had just, this was 2018 and they had just put out their EP. And I was absolutely blown away by their talent. And I saw a picture of them that was floating around the internet on many sites. And then it was the five young women standing in a Lebanese forest, uh, all wearing black. And, you know, there was Lilas uh, on the left side of the frame standing alone with her arms crossed, you know, looking real angsty. And I remember just sort of honing in on her and being like, I have to meet this band with with the talent and just the way that they're presenced. And so I reached out to them online. I think it was on Facebook. And um, immediately they were just very open and, and me and Lilas hit it off. We just talked for hours on Skype and about everything and I really sort of recognized, you know, a younger version of myself in her. And I think that was really powerful for me at the time, especially when I was going through, I was losing my dad, he was dying, you know, just looking for a way to reconnect to people in the region, especially people 
that I could see myself in, you know, and so that's kind of how it all started. That's really interesting. So you found this kindred spirit with Alilis and did you pitch her like, oh, I want to make a documentary about you guys? Or did she kind of invite you to be like, hey, do you guys, you want to come do something with us? How did that come to be? No, I definitely had to explain to her what it was that I did. And, you know, they were looking for press opportunities, but they didn't quite, you know, grasp what a long form documentary would be like or why they would ever participate in it. So I, you know, we started very small. I didn't know that it would be a feature film either. I basically said, what if, well, first I met the rest of the band that we had a video chat and um, gauged all their individual interests and participating in some sort of piece of content. I didn't know what it would be. Maybe it would be like a nowness piece, or maybe it would be a short doc, or maybe it would be a, a rock doc. We don't know yet. And so I sort of pitched them just to, for me to come visit and just, I'll bring my camera, but we don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how much I'll film. And Lilas invited me to stay in her house and uh, was just incredibly open and warm from the very beginning. And so was her mom. And so was the rest of the band. And I think after that week, I knew that I could make a feature film and the girls were excited to have me back. And so I just kept coming and, you know, we grew to, to love each other. And, and that was three years ago, three and a half years ago. Well, you definitely did not make an episode of Behind the Music in the best possible way. I'm saying that to you. No disrespect to Behind the Music, but you made a, a very beautiful feature length documentary. And I know that you served as director and also uh, director of photography. I know there were some other there were people who operated some cameras, too. There's just way too much stuff for one person to, to do it all. But talk about a little bit uh, how you bifurcate your brain, how you have, you know, DP hat on and director hat. Or is it uh, intuitive for you? Does it all just kind of fit together as one? I personally think that that's really difficult. It's really difficult to be paying attention to your visuals, paying attention to your story, paying attention to what happens next, being able to to make sense of all of this. Talk a little bit about how you wear those different hats. I think that is the superpower is that it is one hat for me. It's like one of those hats with the two points. (laughs) I guess it's a horn hat. (laughs) I, I can't separate my brain from like I've sort of always experienced life and art through the lens of a camera ever since I was like eight years old. And so it's natural for me to explore emotions and situations through the lens. And so that is kind of how I approach making films. And I don't know, I mean, I I can work with DPs, but when it comes to these sort of intimate verite style films, I don't know that I can separate my brain between director and cinematographer. I think it's all one thing. And I don't actually focus on visuals. I focus on emotion. And that leads me to the most authentic moment in the scene. And, you know, the visuals are sort of secondary for me. Not that I don't want it to look beautiful, but I trust that the emotion is going to lead me to the most beautiful possible scene. In 2018, you started this relationship with uh, Slaves to Sirens and you started traveling back and forth. Uh, the first time was a week. The, the entire rest of the, the shooting of this project, I, I assume, was not just in one sort of uh, stretch of time. Uh, I assume that it was multiple trips over a length of time. How many shooting days would you say were involved in, in capturing the story? Because it seems like it spans a, a fair, fairly good length of time. It does. Yeah, we shot from 2018 to 2021 on and off. And I don't know that I calculated exactly how many shooting days we did, but um, because there were days and the the length of time I would go, you know, and visit would 
varied greatly. So it depended on what was going on. Sometimes I would extend my stay. I would never leave early. Sometimes I would just leave later than I thought. But, you know, weeks, several weeks at a time. And there'd be days, many days in those spans where I wouldn't shoot anything. We're just hanging out and I'm just, you know, observing or we're having fun and, and bonding. But I would say overall, the amount of footage, like the number of hours, probably significantly less than most feature docs, most verite feature docs. It's a couple hundred, you know, low hundreds uh, of hours of footage. And it feels like a lot when you're in the edit. But when you think of other films, uh, like something like I think Cartel Land, you know, comes to mind. I think they had like 1600 hours of footage. It's like, you know, it was a one camera shoot, just me. And I sort of was pretty selective about what I was filming uh, by the end. So nice to me, it feels like there's almost like this insulated world that the band sort of exists in, or at least your documentary does a good job of, I feel like kind of establishing that there's a lot of tension in some of the documentary between the members of the band. There's, there's some, some strife, but they're almost sort of like isolated in their own world or the world around them is kind of going on and they're very much into their own bubble, seeking solace or seeking some sort of, you know, something they can control where the outside world is completely outside of their control. Am I just mentally masturbating here about what I'm what I'm seeing in this movie or was this an intention? Was this actually something that really you were trying to, to set these worlds apart? No, I think you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly it. And that it's it's not something I orchestrated. It's something that I really witnessed. And I think that it's a self-preservation. It's survival mode, you know, when you're young and you, well, there's this, I call it like the agony and ecstasy of being in your 20s and you feel invincible and yet you have what seems like impossible dreams. That to me was apparent from day one. I noticed the girls or the young women, I should say, they built a sort of dream world for themselves, this inner world where they could be exactly who they are. You know, you close the door and you're in a soundproof room and it's you have your instruments and you have your best friends and you can say anything and you can be anything and you can dream anything and it's all possible. And then you step outside that soundproof room and it's absolute chaos like and you have no control over anything. And you have to, you know, you go home and you have expectations put on you and you, you have, you know, traditions and you have protection, but maybe you, you're not, you don't want it anymore because you're trying to grow up. And, and so I felt that that was just infused in the footage naturally. I don't think I had to try very hard to make it feel that way, but I'm glad it's coming across. <laughs> And, you know, I got I got to give real props to your subjects. This is real metal. This is they are really talented musicians. This is not winger. This is not like the fake metal. No, these ladies rock all of them like seriously, seriously rock. I was actually just before this interview watching some of them on YouTube. And it's like these ladies seriously shred and seriously put on an incredible show. Can you talk a little bit about the audience reaction and the uh, and what it's like? How into the band are the fans? I, I mean, I assume there's probably some pretty hard core fans and at the end of the the movie we see like you know a really great crowd so talk a little bit about actually capturing these performances because you have some of these performances in the movie what was that like and i'm assuming that's when you had to get some other cameras involved you had to get some other people involved to to make this work so yeah i mean their fan base is growing um and everyone who listens to them you know who appreciates metal is enthusiastic about how talented they all are each of them in their own right on their own instruments i mean the drummer is just incredible 
the lead guitarist Sherry's incredible. You know, Lila's obviously hold it down. She's just she taught basically taught herself how to play guitar. You know, and Maya she came from a band where she was singing clean vocals, and Lila saw her performing one day was like, that girl has it in her. She could do it. And so they brought her in for like an audition and she just let it out. And they were like, yep, <laughs> you got it. Like you just had natural talent. And, but she worked, you know, they all work really hard. And Alma, the bassist, I mean, they're just so passionate on their instruments. So I think any fan that they have is uh, because they are dedicated to the scene, they're dedicated to the music and they're really, really good. Uh, and in terms of filming the concerts, actually, the ones I filmed, I filmed one camera and the right. ones that I, yeah. And the, it's a kind of a hilarious, um, I wish there was a behind the scenes video of me sprinting back and forth, <laughs> you know, in the, in the scene that you see in Glastonbury, that was literally me sprinting from backstage to the end of the lawn and to the left side and to the right side. <laughs> My editor did a fabulous job of doing what she could with all that, but Casablanca, um, I actually wasn't able to make it to Casablanca because my grandfather passed away. So that's all footage that was filmed there. And then that's what you see in the credits. And then the the performance at the very beginning that was filmed by a fabulous uh, DP in Beirut, Pauline Maroon. And she filmed all that one camera. So yeah, it was a collective effort to capture these girls on the rise. But then um, the pandemic hit and I didn't realize when we first started making this film that that those would be our only opportunities to get to film them playing live. And that was really a bummer. But in the end, I think it, it worked out just for the just as fine as it could have. But I agree. I think it, it, it worked out really well for the movie. And I should say the stuff that's in there all, all works really, really well. I, I alluded to the strife and I'm not going to give it away for, for the listeners who haven't seen the movie, but the strife ends up becoming like a, a, a central sort of like moment in, you know, between the band members in, in the movie. When that started to unfold, did you realize that was going to be this uh, major emotional beat in the story? Absolutely. I I think that, again, because I follow emotion, there was clearly something there that had been bubbling for a long time underneath the surface. And I always look for subtext. You know, I love scenes that do things on many levels, whether or not the audience always clues into it immediately or not. Um, it's it's there and you're feeling it. And so um, and then later it sort of all connect. The dots should be connected by the end. But with that fight scene, we got that fight scene pretty early on in filming and mm. um, didn't quite like sense that this was going to be a major pivotal moment in the film, but didn't know to what extent the dots could be connected because some of the stuff that was the subtext of that scene wasn't on the surface yet. Like I didn't even know all of the details and the rest of the band didn't. And so and in particular, the, the relationship between Lewis and Sherry. And so it really took the, it wasn't until the edit that we really were confident that we could connect all those dots, you know? So I, I always wanted to make, you know, I knew once we started filming, I wanted to make a film about a more intimate sort of deeper film than just a portrait of a band, but I didn't know what it was going to be about exactly or how I was going to pull that off. That's really amazing for me to hear you say that, because I think that in that sort of like very emotionally charged moments, they might be like, 
Rita, get the hell out of here. <laughs> we, we don't want this recorded. We don't we don't want this going going on. This is not for you. But you were an incredible fly on the wall and you, you got all that. And they were in their moment and did not. And, and they weren't thinking about you. So I got to say that I think that the fact that you were able to have this level of comfort with them, that they didn't feel that you had to be excluded and that you got all this sort of stuff going on underneath the surface and then being able to connect the dots to the documentary, I think is for me the the magic of what you've put together. This is what really makes this story interesting because you've got very human people. It's not behind the music. It's not like, you know, a nightmare descent into booze and pills. It is like, you know, here are people, they are real. They have all of their own stuff going on. They're trying to isolate themselves from the rest of the world. They're trying to make it work. And the fact that you can get that emotional honesty and make the story work. And of course, <laughs> Lelis cuts her hair at one moment too. And that's whenever you see something like that happen in a movie, it's a really incredible sort of of like watermark where you go like well we know everything from this point forward happened after you can't play trickery there isn't like editing magic where it's like oh we got this scene later and we kind of sneak it in here and so now it makes it feel like there's drama all the the tricks that like reality television uses to try to like orchestrate a story you got the story and i think that you really succeeded with that and uh, i i hope that other people especially filmmakers recognize just how difficult that is to pull off how difficult it is to actually get what you got in this movie which is which is rare yeah well thank you yeah i mean i think it's you know it's built on trust and bonding and and also you know at one point lisa said to me like it's a relief to be seen to be like to be able to be myself to not have to put up a front you know and i think that that is something a lot of us can relate to in one way shape or form throughout our lives and so the camera is just a tool to help tell a story you know it, it shouldn't be feared at least not in my point of view i think the way that i make films it's like it's just an extension of my body you know i'm just there present with them and, and we should forget about the camera um and that's really the way it played out yeah i mean the, the haircut scene was a pivotal moment and it was it was a big challenge <laughs> let me tell you it was not easy to make the film after that but it did keep, yeah it always keeps you honest and and you should be anyway but it was also a challenge because Maya, the, the singer, kept changing her hair color. So she has a different hair color in every scene. And people in the beginning, when we first started testing the film, were a little bit confused who was who. So we really had to work hard in the edit to, to keep everything, you know, clear. <laughs> Well, Sundance is a uh, fantastic film festival, but it's also a market. Do you already have a distribution coming into this? Are your worldwide rights already available? What's what's the situation with this movie? Are people going to be able to see it you know, at future festivals or do you know yet what's happening or so we are, we have not secured distribution yet. We are just starting that process. We do have a sales agent that sells is repped by um, CAA. You know, hopefully buyers love it and want to buy it. <laughs> and then beyond that, um, we do have acceptances from a lot of festivals. None of them have announced yet, uh, but there's a healthy mix of European and American ones. And so we'll be announcing all that soon. And I think that the world will get to see a lot of the sirens this summer. <laughs> Well, you've got a wonderful team at CAA. They're my former employer, so I'm sure they're going to do great for you. And I'm really excited for the movie. Uh, Rita, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's, it's really been a lot of fun uh, getting to dive into this movie, and I can't wait to see what you do next. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. 
This has been the Cinematography Podcast, presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.